Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners, and thanks for stopping by. We have a real treat for you on this week's episode of the Paranormal Factor Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking with Eleanor Wagner, paranormal investigator, acclaimed author, and a podcast host in her own right. Eleanor started a group of paranormal investigators in New Jersey called the Lady Ghostbusters. They've been investigating strange occurrences in New Jersey since their beginning in 2019. She's also the author of a series of paranormal books, including her successful series highlighting encounters and hauntings from the Sussex County area of New Jersey. And finally, she's host of a terrific paranormal podcast, Eleanor Wagner's Strange and Scary World, released through the Paranormal UK radio network. Our conversation is a candid discussion about what happens on paranormal investigations, including some of the tools of the trade, what makes for a successful investigation, and precautions to take to protect yourself. So if you've ever wondered what it's like to participate in paranormal investigations or how to get into investigating the supernatural, then this installment is for you. Now, I apologize ahead of time for some audio issues we had on Eleanor's end due to pesky ghostly activity. Okay, to be transparent about it, Eleanor did say a snowstorm was coming in. Nah, I'm, I'm sticking with the ghostly interference explanation. After all, this is a paranormal podcast. I promise the disruptions are fairly minor and short, so just hang in there with us. And now, on to the episode. Welcome, Eleanor. So good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. I, I'm really excited for this interview. We went ahead and did an interview at the end of last year with Bill Kurd, who is a medium. And it was a very fascinating interview. Some of the things that he's done is work with some paranormal groups, investigation groups. So I'm very excited to talk to you about that aspect of some of the paranormal uh, investigative things that go on out there in the field. So let's start with this. Tell me a little bit about the paranormal investigations group that you started, the Lady Ghostbusters. It sounds like such a cool concept. <laughs> okay, they're called the Lady Ghostbusters. It's really just a play on the name because I don't really consider us Ghostbusters. We respect spirit and it's really about spirit. So to be called the Lady Ghostbuster is not what you should take it at its words. <laughs> right. The, and the paranormal team is comprised of both men and women, although the core group is usually women that go out on the paranormal investigations, but I do have about probably seven men that are part of the group and they join us as well. And they just consider themselves paranormal investigators with the lady ghostbusters. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it does look like a pretty cool group. I did get a chance to go out and kind of look at some of the folks and some of the things that you guys are are doing how did the concept of this kind of come about i was writing my 
first hauntings book in 2019. And I had been interviewing a president of a mine that's located in Ogdensburg, New Jersey in Sussex County. And he was telling me how he's a scientist and he's not supposed to believe in any of this stuff that's going on, but he has no explanation for it. And he would love it if I brought my paranormal team into their buildings and their minds to try and figure it out. And of course, I jumped at that opportunity because I was dying to write that chapter and what better thing to have is evidence of our own. But at the time, I didn't have a paranormal team. So here I am agreeing to come to his facility with a paranormal team that didn't exist at that point. <laughs> wow. So what I did was I just recruited some people that I had met in the past on adventures I had gone on with girlfriends of mine. And then I had opened it up as an opportunity to some of the people that I had interviewed for that first book, because they're just ordinary people like you and I, and they have sensitive sensitivities to spirit. And ultimately, that's why I interviewed them for my book, because they were sharing what had happened to them in their lives and in certain locations. So I kind of just reached out to them and said, look, I know you don't really know me. And I just interviewed you for my book, but I have this opportunity. And if you would like to join me, I would love to have you participate. And I believe I asked five people and out of those five, three joined in on that group at that time. So when we went into the mines, there was probably, I think, seven total of us all together from that particular Lady Ghostbuster group, which is the name that I came up with. And from that point on, those same people have stayed with me ever since. And the group has just grown from that point on. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about, it seems to be such a great eclectic group and people with different gifts and, and different expertise and knowledge. Can you tell us, I, I don't expect you to do a rundown on every single member, but maybe just highlight a couple of people that are on the group. Sure. Jackie Hangley. She, we're all middle-aged. <laughs> so we're kind of like at this stage in our lives where we can devote more time and energy to doing this sort of thing in our late years of life. Jackie is one of the older members of the group, and she's just amazing at her talent. She can see spirit and communicate with them and doesn't need any kind of equipment and doesn't care to have it. She just trusts her own gifts when we go on an investigation where some of the others like to have equipment. I personally uh, like to have my K2 because it tells me about the energy around. And if I'm communicating with spirit, I like to use my pendulum and sometimes my dousing rods, whichever one the spirit decides to use themselves. I'll introduce them both to spirit and whichever one they decide to use to communicate with me is what I go with. Um, Margaret Miller is one of the members who has sensitivity as well, but she likes her SLS camera, which for the listening audience is a camera that kind of gives you a skeletal image of an energy or being that's in front of you when you've got the camera going. So on the outskirts, we'll be looking and there's nothing there. But if you look on her camera, it's there. And wow. we will be having a conversation and it will be communicating and responding. For example, if you said, can you wave to us? So we know that you can hear us. And if the image on the camera waves, then you know that you're actually communicating with the spirit. And sometimes it actually becomes like a charade game because although you can't speak to them directly and only a medium can hear if they're present at that time, if medium's not present, 
you're kind of playing charades with spirit to try and understand what it is that they're saying. So if you have other people verbiage, then it's great. So words that a spirit can use, communicate and get a message across. Yeah, I'm getting some interference again. We've got is, a storm coming through here, so I don't know if that has something to do with it, but it's been snowing all day. Schools oh. are closed and everything. So I don't know if that has something to do with it, but. <laughs> all right, well, let's let's plow through. And if we have to come back later and, and maybe make up some things, we can probably do that. But so let's jump into this. Has there been a particular big sort of case that you uh, have work together as a team that you've covered that kind of comes to mind that stands out for you? Sure. The Sterling Hill mine that I was just explaining to you, and not only is it because it's the, the first and probably most prominent uh, investigation that we had as a team, it's the most memorable for us as well because of the evidence that we unearthed at that particular investigation. We were featured on Paranormal Court on camera because oh, of wow. the footage. Okay, that's great. Yeah. We all had our cameras going at the time and we had different angles. And what I did after the investigation was go through the footage that I had and picked out, which I thought was the best. And I sent it in and they liked it. So they ended up doing a feature of us. So that was very exciting. We had a lot of stuff happen at that investigation, but getting that footage was amazing. And that's a good segue. One of the things that uh, I had talked to Bill a little bit about, and I want to ask you about this as well. The paranormal is so prevalent right now on television. We have television shows left and right about the paranormal this and the paranormal that and Ghost Hunters and uh, the show that you just mentioned. The Osbournes want to believe. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne's gotten into this a little bit. When we watch some of these shows, it's really interesting to me how it seems like all you have to do is walk through a door <laughs> and you get confronted with, with a ghost right away, a spirit or an, an, an entity. And it, you would think that, uh, that any, any alleged haunted location, you're going to get great results. You just need to show up. Tell us a little bit about what the real world is like with an investigative team. Yeah, that is so untrue. And I can tell you right now, I've spoken to a New York director and he has also confirmed me because I said to him, I said, I know what it's like to go out at a paranormal investigation and it's nothing like those television shows. You can be at a site for six hours and have nothing happen. You should be lucky if you have one thing happen. And if it's a really active place, then you'll have more than one thing happen, but it's, it's just not realistic. And he had said, you have to remember it's entertainment. And he said, if something doesn't happen, we're going to make it happen. So mm. what I need to tell the listeners is don't believe everything that you watch. And if anybody knows what it's like to be on an investigation, they'll be the first ones to tell you it's, it's not like that at all. It really isn't. It's actually quite boring sometimes because you could just be sitting there and you could just be waiting and waiting. And you oftentimes don't see or hear anything until you actually go home and look at the footage that you've gotten or listen to the audio that you've gotten to actually see whether something was there. Very rarely does like a door open or you hear something drop or of that sort of scare. Or, so, or even yeah. worse, you see something <laughs> scratching you across your back or, or you know, biting your, your, your leg or something. It, it does. That does happen, though. That does happen. One yeah. of my team members was actually was actually attacked and left with marks on her body. And that was in a confrontation between two brothers 
in a building, one was a good brother, one was not. And the two mediums that were connecting, one was connecting with one good and one was connecting with the bad. And they were almost like fighting between each other. These are two mediums that always got along, but at this particular investigation were having difficulty communicating with one another comfortably. And we ended up finding out it was because of the the brother friction and one being bad and one being good. And after we left, because she had screamed, she said, ow, oh my gosh. And when we checked, she had this mark on her back, a scratch and had taken pictures of it because it was just like, okay, well, that's, we got to document the fact that she actually was left with, you know. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to several investigators who have had things happen, uh, getting, thankfully, not really horrible things, but being pushed or shoved or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of things, uh, feeling their hair being tugged. Um, You have to remember that spirits in, a person in life is no different in death. So if somebody was not a really nice person in life, you can bet your bottom dollar that in spirit, they're not going to be any different than that. Yeah, that's a great point. You got to try and remember that. that. Yeah, you wouldn't expect them to be so. Good point. Uh, let me ask you this. Has there ever been a particular investigation where you personally were actually frightened? Yeah, I'd have to say there was one that we had done in Warren County. I don't consider myself as gifted as some of the other members. Plus, I don't have nearly as much experience as some of them do either. I've always considered our group as a learning experience for everybody involved and somebody may have more experience than another, but we're all there to help each other experience and grow in our knowledge. I consider myself one of the least experienced in this field and I'm learning as I go. And so when we went into this one particular investigation, we ended up finding out that the woman of the house was actually the haunted one. And it really freaked me out because How do you work around that? All of this stuff is going on. Her family is being emotionally changed because of her being haunted. And now we're there. (laughs) And how do you protect yourself from that? So it it really did creep me out. And because I'm inexperienced in this, I kind of left it to the others who knew what they were doing. And I just kind of was the person taking the notes and the pictures on that particular investigation because I was really afraid I was going to do something that wasn't right (laughs) yeah interesting um so you were able to sort of tamp that down a little bit by by just increasing your involvement in in doing some of the other things that were in support i guess and you know in 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 an instance like that because that's happened to us at least three times in an instant like that you have to recommend to the person what your whole assumption of this investigation is okay because that's what it is you're making you're you're making your own decision about what you're experiencing and you're trying to to explain that to the person that you've come there for and whether they're going to receive it well or not is up to them so you'll tell them in the end that this is what's going on and this is what you can do to help yourself but not everybody wants to believe it they're some of them are in denial, which ended up being in our, in this case, the two that I can think of. One took us at our word and, and our advice and did something to help herself, but the other just didn't believe it and just felt that every place that she went to was haunted and it wasn't her. Mm-hmm. So kind of, and, you know, well, there's nothing you can do about that, right? Right. So let me ask you this, Eleanor. When I talk to different groups, paranormal groups, 
you know, some of them are, are in it to sort of increase their, their knowledge of the paranormal. Some are in it to basically try to provide some kind of proof that supernatural things exist. Others are there to help people out of trouble and things like that. So what's the most important thing for you to try to accomplish when you go into these investigations? My mission statement and that of the group is one, to get the acknowledgement for the spirit, to get their message out, whatever it may be. If, they, if it's just that they want to be acknowledged, that's fine. Or if they have something they want to tell us or have something they want us to do, then we'll do that. The second is to get answers for the residents that have called us into this location for help and to try and get them to live comfortably with spirit if spirit's not going to go into the light. So that's the second thing. And then the third is about the experience for the group as a whole. I really feel like all of our members, and I wanted them to be in the group so that we could help each other and respect each other so that we could all learn and get the best we can be at what we do. Pretty neat. And along sort of the same lines, you're going into these investigations and you're, you've got your mission statement, you're trying to accomplish different things. And I'm sure this is probably a little different maybe for each person and, and maybe within your group, each individual, but are there certain skills or may, maybe we could say a mindset that are particularly valuable in paranormal investigations? Everyone comes with their own special talent. And I, I don't really have any room for cockiness or big headed attitudes, you know, because the combined energy and the shared positivity is all that's going to add to the experience for the group people and getting the resolution and the answers that we're looking for. And that's not to say that I haven't found that because there have been people that in the group feel like they're more experienced than other people and they should be respected. And I, I get that, but I also want people to understand that there are other people that come to the group and nobody really knows the extent of their background. I mean, all we know is how old you are. So if somebody comes to the group and they're in their 50s, okay, then we know that there's a possibility they've been having this gift and this sensitivity all their lives. And somebody might come in their 35 and they've had it too, but you really don't know the extent of their experiences, what they've done with themselves. So being a part of the group doesn't necessarily mean that you're the most experienced and that you know the most of everything. And we're all there to help each other to get to the bottom of why we're doing the investigation in the first place. So everybody comes with their special talents. Somebody might be able to see spirit, see and hear spirit. Somebody even can smell different smells. Uh, somebody might just be the historian and, and, and love the whole idea of the paranormal investigations and wanting to get to the history part of it. Whatever you have to contribute is considered important, and we're all there to help each other get to that final resolution. And I would think, as far as a mindset goes, that maybe one of the most important mindsets would just be an openness to experiencing whatever is going to come about without preconceived conditions, or probably in some cases, even preconceived expectations. Absolutely. Being open to it. Absolutely. So let's talk about tools for a minute. 
because one of the cool things about paranormal investigations are the gadgets. You guys are like the Q branch sometimes for James Bond, you know, all these really cool gadgets. We see them on a lot of the television shows being used. Is there a particular tool, maybe not the word gadget, but a, a, a tool that's used by the team that you in particular find really effective and that you tend to rely on? And if you could, if you have a tool like that, if you could explain to the listeners maybe a little bit about how it works as well. Sure. Um, like I was mentioning earlier, the K2 is really important. Every one of us has a K2. It's a little gadget that actually has just green and red light. And when you're in a room, if there's energy around, the light is going to brighten according to the amount of energy that's there. And that's usually the first sign that something's there. And so we'll try and go around the room and debunk that energy level to see if maybe there's an electrical outlet or something that's making that energy go crazy. Because if it, it, it goes really high and it's, it's really bright and starts flashing, that means that something's there. And if you put it next to an outlet, you're gonna get the same effect. And that's why you wanna differentiate whether it's really a spirit or if it's that outlet. So you walk away from wherever that energy outlet is to see if it's still giving you that that prompt and then you'll know oh, okay something's going on so the k2s is something that is a given with us we really consider ourselves traditionalists so we don't use a lot of this high-tech equipment because it really is an interference sometimes because if these people are sensitives and they're really listening to spirit and they're trying to sense them in their in their mind and in their third eye then to hear all sorts of equipment going off can be uh, a disturbance so we'll have those K2s because they don't make noise. And then, like I mentioned earlier, I like to use my pendulum, which is just this little stone that I hang on a stand. And I tell spirit that if you make it spin in a circle, that's a yes answer. If you make it go back and forth straight, that's a no answer. And it's just as simple as that for them to respond to any questions that we may ask. And then I also offer them the opportunity of using the dousing rods. And if no one's familiar with a dousing rod is, it's what people have used in the past to try and find water, where the location of water is so that they could build their well. Well, this really works as a great tool for me too, because if I tell them I'm using these dousing rods and if you cross them for me, then I'll know that that's a yes answer. And if you open them really wide, I'll know that that's a no answer. And that's a great tool for spirit to respond to a conversation or questions that I may be asking. Um, and then, like I mentioned to you earlier, Margaret likes to use her SLS camera. It's not noisy. It's something that we could just use as a visual. The only thing that any of us might consider noisy is the obelisk, but the obelisk doesn't really go crazy with words. It doesn't spit out like a hundred words at a time. It's just here and there, a word gets presented. And so that's uh, in another easy way for us to get a response from spirit. So the only other thing that I can think that we've used too that's really been handy is called the spirit box. And what that is, is um, a team member will put on a headset and eye patches. So when they put the headset on, what they hear is this white noise and they can't hear anything around them. They can't hear a conversation that the rest of the team is having with spirit. So we'll be sitting there and we'll ask spirit a question. For example, we might say, could you tell us your name? And the person who's wearing the headset that's hearing the white noise, if they hear something while they're sitting there with 
this mechanism going in their head, they'll just spew out the words. So, you know, they might answer at that moment, we've asked the question, what your name is and say, Tom, and they won't know that they're actually responding to a question that we asked spirit, which also is an indication to us that we've reached a spirit and now we're communicating with the spirit because we're getting intelligent responses to questions that the person who's wearing the headset with the noise in the ear has no idea is happening if you're following what i'm saying I, I which, am. Is, which is really a very cool and exciting way to make connection because like i said they don't hear what we're saying and we're getting responses and and that's to me i i, I get really excited when we when we get things that way yeah that's compelling for sure uh, I, you know, I wanted to loop back just for a second because you said something early on as you were describing these things, and I love it, absolutely love it. I describe myself as a skeptical believer. Mm -hmm. I definitely believe in the supernatural, the paranormal, uh, but I, I'm, you know, I try to have a healthy skepticism too. In other words, I don't gulp down every single thing that I see or hear or, or whatever. And I really like the fact that you mentioned that uh, instead of taking the, was it the K2, did you call it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, instead of taking that and it's flashing like crazy, automatically just leaping immediately to, oh, look, there's a spirit here that you, you and your team actually take the time to make sure that it's not just some electrical interference that the house is producing or something like that. And I think that's really healthy and important. Oh, I do. I think it is really important. Absolutely. So here we go. Let me ask you about your podcast because you have a great podcast. I listened to uh, one of the very early episodes where you were interviewing one of the members of the team who is a medium and it was it was fascinating. And I was amazed, Eleanor, at how many things she was saying that lined up with the medium I had interviewed, Bill Kurd. I, they could have been sitting there just really just rifting off each other. They were that that similar in their experiences and what they were saying. But tell us a little bit about this, this podcast that you have. And it's on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. Tell us a little bit about it and maybe even give our listeners a couple of episodes that you in particular like or think they might like to go out and experience. Sure, thank you. It's called Eleanor Wagner's Strange and Scary World. And the idea came along when I'm in the paranormal and in that field, there are a lot of interesting things to discuss. So it was, that's what idea prompted me to have the podcast. And I wanted to have not necessarily just paranormal because there are a lot of other strange and scary things out there that people like to listen about. So when I had that first episode, I did it because I wanted to let people know about the Lady Ghostbuster team members and that they're ordinary people with sensitivities and what they were able to do. So that's why I started off with a team member and I have several episodes that talk with members and what they can do. But two episodes that stand out to show you the examples of not necessarily paranormal. There's the episode with Nick Frashy, who is a former police officer who was at the scene of a UFO encounter over the Wanakee Reservoir in New Jersey in the 60s. And I wrote about that as a chapter in one of my books, but I, th I thought it would be great to actually have him on the podcast so people could actually hear him and who he is and hear the experience from him personally. And I ended up having Nick Frashy on with Nick Stefano, who was the gentleman who had him on his radio show at one point. So it was nice to have both men being able to 
reunite and then discuss Nick's experience with that unidentified flying object over the, the dam. So that's a great episode. And then there was another one that has to do with conspiracy theories. They're a big deal in this day and age now. And I had Kendra Krupp on an episode along with author Susanna Sheldon as a co-host. And it made for a very interesting and intriguing conversation between the two ladies and their big, great reveals. I was sitting there going, wow, this is really interesting. Now I know why people are fascinated by conspiracy theorists. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty neat. Uh, and so you're having a lot of fun with the podcast? I am. It's great. I'm, I'm meeting new people and hearing great stories, having wonderful conversations and discussions, and it's right down my alley. I love that's, to talk. <laughs> that's great. And where where can they find that? Is it out there on most listening platforms? For example, uh, you know, Apple, Spotify, those areas. Can they find them pretty you can pretty get easily? It. You, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts on the Paranormal UK Radio Network, but it's available where anyone gets their podcasts. Excellent. And the name again of, of it, if you can say it one more time. It's Eleanor listeners. Wagner's Strange and Scary World. Perfect. Now, listeners, you may not realize this, but we are indeed talking to a Renaissance woman <laughs> because Eleanor does it all. And one of the things she does and does very well is write books. And you are a successful author of several books. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your experience as a writer? Obviously, it's going to be different than your experience as a paranormal investigator. I'm sure there are certain things that you really get out of that art form of writing. But if you could tell us a little bit about some of the books and, and maybe even in particular recommend one or two books for our listeners as well. I've been writing since I was a kid. And I grew up with Stephen King, Dean Koontz, John Soule. Those were the books that I went to when I went to the library. And so when I started writing, although I went to school to write for children, believe it or not, when I started writing horror stories, it was to liken myself to those authors that I admired so much. So when I wrote my first paranormal romance, even though I consider it a paranormal romance, it flows like a John Soule, Stephen King, Dean Koontz book. And then I was writing the second one when the hauntings series idea came to mind. I love ghost stories. Whenever I travel to a different location, I always look for the ghost stories of that area. And it doesn't necessarily mean you got to live there to read those stories. Everybody likes a ghost story. So I said to myself, I know my county's haunted because I owned a haunted antique shop. And I said, well, I'm going to write about my experiences and I'm going to see if anybody in the community wants to share their stories. And that's how the haunting series began. So Sussex County Hauntings and Other Strange Phenomena was created to tell people about my personal experiences with spirit and then to, to share others in the community's stories as well. I thought it was going to be one book and now I'm working on the third one and other counties are coming out as well. So Warren County Hauntings and Other Strange Phenomena came out this past Halloween. And although I still have that love of writing those paranormal romances, I'm stuck to the hauntings as well. So I kind of do a little bit of both. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Are those available on Amazon or where can people get a hold of those books? Yes, you can get them on Amazon. You can get them on eBay. You can go right to my website, authoreleanorwagner.com and get the links to the books directly through me if you want a signed copy or the links to the other places where you can buy them on my website. 
Excellent. And it's so funny, Eleanor, you and I are very similar in a lot of ways. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I do exactly the same thing. Whenever I go to a town or a small city or something, whether it's up in Montana or out in some part of Texas here, I do the same thing. I go to the local bookstore and the first thing I ask them is, do you have a book about local ghost stories? <laughs> and I would say probably three quarters of the time they do. There's some sure. fairly local author who has put together something like that. So uh, I, I'm uh, very glad you share that interest and even more that you're contributing to the content out there. That's fantastic. Thank you. So let me ask you, Eleanor, we'll wrap up with this. If any of the listeners out there are thinking about getting into paranormal investigations, what would be your advice to them on how to go about doing that? How do they get involved with it? That's number one. And number two, would you have any general advice for them? Every community has an established group or two. So it's very easy to go on social media and find a local paranormal group in your area where you can go and become a participant. When you go and if you go and want to have an investigation, I really feel like it's really important to respect spirit as you would respect another human being because they were humans in life and they demand respect and death as well. Don't forget they're there before you are. So you're in their space. It should be no different. I say go in with God and protection. Make sure you leave those spirits behind when you're done and don't take them home with you. <laughs> and how does somebody make sure that they that, that doesn't happen? Is there it's a way? Really sure. It's really important that you let them know when you're leaving, that you're thanking them for sharing their time with you, but that they need to stay behind, that they can't come home with you. But I also suggest that people bring protective stones with them or wear the protective bracelets or oils that are protective oils. They're out there. You can just Google them and purchase them. I even have a lady Ghostbuster bracelet on my website for anybody that's interested. They're all protective stones so that you can wear it. It's universal. It could be both men and women that wear it. It's a great thing to just put on your, your hand when you're going on an investigation and know that you're being protective to that extent. Very good. All right. Well, listen, I, Eleanor Wagner, I am a fan and uh, <laughs> I really, really thank you for making the time to come on my podcast and share with us some of your experiences and some of your wisdom. And we certainly wish you the very best of luck and continued success in your, your books, as well as your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really wonderful speaking with you. Same here. Take care, Eleanor. Bye. A special thanks to our guest on this episode, Eleanor Wagner. I deeply appreciate her making the time to sit down and chat with us. As you might expect, what with running a paranormal investigators group and a bi-weekly podcast, Eleanor is extremely busy. I have no idea how she also makes time to be a successful author as well. So again, thanks for making the time, Eleanor. Listeners, thanks for joining us for this conversation. I've posted links in the show notes if you want to check out Eleanor's books or her paranormal podcast. In our next episode of the Paranormal Factor podcast, we travel to the snow and ice-covered haunts of Nepal to encounter Bigfoot's legendary cousin, the Yeti. 
We'll give you a history of the Yeti and explore some possible explanations of what, or who, he really is. Along the way, we'll look into supposed evidence for the Yeti's existence. And of course, as you've come to expect, we'll delve into actual reported sightings of the fabled cryptid. Truly massive and not entirely friendly, we confront the original abominable snowman, the Yeti, next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And our weekly quiz is up next. You could prove me wrong, but I'm thinking it's going to be tough to get the answer to this one. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Well, in this week's quiz, we ask, what year was the legendary Roswell UFO crash? Was it A, 1946, B, 1947, C, 1948, or D, 1949? Once again, what year was the legendary Roswell UFO crash? 1946, 1947, 1948, or 1949? And the correct answer is... B, 1947. The Roswell incident is the 1947 recovery of balloon debris from a ranch near Corona, New Mexico, outside the town of Roswell by United States Army Air Force officers from Roswell Army Airfield. It also refers to conspiracy theories, decades later, claiming the debris involved a flying saucer and the truth had been covered up by the United States government. On July 8, 1947, Roswell Army Airfield issued a press release stating they had recovered a flying disc. The Army quickly retracted the statement and said instead that the crashed object was a conventional weather balloon. The Roswell incident did not surface again until the late 1970s when retired Lieutenant Colonel Jesse Marcel, in an interview with ufologist Stanton Friedman, said he believed the debris he retrieved at the time in 1947 was extraterrestrial. Ufologists began promoting a variety of increasingly elaborate conspiracy theories, claiming that one or more alien spacecraft had crash-landed and that the extraterrestrial occupants had been recovered by the military, which then engaged in a cover-up. In 1994, the United States Air Force published a report identifying the crashed object as a nuclear test surveillance balloon from Project Mogul. A second Air Force report published in 1997 concluded that stories of alien bodies probably stemmed from test dummies being dropped from high altitude. Conspiracy theories about the event nevertheless endure even today, and the Roswell incident continues to be of interest in popular media. The incident has been described as the world's most famous, most exhaustively investigated, and most thoroughly debunked UFO claim. The city of Roswell, New Mexico has capitalized on the event. The city's official seal now features a little green man, while the city contains countless UFO attractions, events, statues, and artwork. Watch for a special two-episode story on the Roswell incident later this year on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, 
please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.